0: This is The Eric Francis Show, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta on
1: Sportsnet 960 The Fan. All right, good afternoon. Welcome to The Eric Francis Show. We do it every Monday from noon till one o'clock, and today we've got two heavy hitters lined up for the show. Phil Esposito, one of the greatest players of all time, period. End of sentence. A lot of people listening today never saw him play. Uh, I'm going to just let you know how incredible a player he was, uh, but also what a great personality he is. That'll come through in our talk uh, over the next half hour. After that, we're going to have Tim Hunter, Flames legend. That's a heavy, heavy hitter. Uh, what was the numbers? 181 fights in the National Hockey League. Something like that. 186 times he dropped the gloves to the NHL, 151 of them. Came over his 11 years with the Calgary Flames. We'll talk about just a few of those fights and uh, his transition to the NHL. He's a fascinating story. He's a Calgary kid. He's a great story. People know and love Tim Hunter. Everywhere he goes, people still talk to him, stop him, take photos with him. He is a uh, Calgary – I don't know if you want to go with legend or icon, but either way, Tim Hunter – uh, one of those greats from the Calgary era when they were challenging and winning a Stanley Cup. Okay, we're going to get into Phil uh, Phil Esposito in just a bit, but while we're just waiting for him, the Leafs down 3 0. I want to talk about this very briefly because I've always been fascinated with the Leafs. I grew up in Toronto. My dad had a quarter season ticket, so I'd go to the games all the time, but I never cheered for the Flames or for the Leafs, sorry. I cheered for the Hartford Whalers. I just always have loved the underdog. And speaking of that, the Toronto Maple Leafs are really the Chicago Cubs of hockey. And when you think back and you look at the Cubs over all those years before they finally broke through a handful of years ago and won a World Series, they were those lovable losers. Everybody loved the Chicago Cubs because, quite frankly, you felt sorry for them. Why is nobody like that with the Toronto Maple Leafs? Is it because it's in Toronto? Is it because their fans, in some people's eyes, are obnoxious? I can tell you that it was quite amazing how many Leaf fans pretty much figured they'd got the cup. After they won that first round, that first time in, what, 19 years, they finally got through the first round uh, last week. Uh, I had several Leaf fans who just asked me straight up, what odds are you giving me for them to win the cup? I gave them all three to one. Not looking very good for them right now. Uh, Amazing, amazing how they got ahead of themselves. And really just everyone, I think, thought that the Florida Panthers were going to be an easy path to the conference finals. Not so, not so at all. Interesting. The uh, fan feedback line is open, 960-960. If you have any questions for Phil or Tim Hunter, Please feel free to send them in. And also, if you have an answer as to why, why does nobody feel sorry for the Toronto Maple Leafs or their fans? I, I, I really would love some theories out there as to why nobody feels sorry for a franchise that's just been crushed over the years. Hey, they've had some damn good teams over the last little while. No question about it. Everyone sees that. And maybe that's why people don't feel sorry for them because that a lot of times it's their own doing, the choking the Game 7 losses, it's just really quite amazing to watch. And I know a lot of people are kind of dancing on the Leafs' grave right now. I'm not one of them that is dancing on it, but it is quite entertaining to watch the roller coaster of emotions after their first breakthrough in all those years and then to have this happen. And then, of course, the question is, what does this mean for Kyle Dubis and, and the entire management team? I think everybody in hockey believed that if they lost in the first round, Dubis was out. His contract's up this summer. A lot of people painted that picture that Tree Living would go to Toronto. Dubis would come here. It's kind of fun to talk about those sort of things. But if they lose in four straight to Florida, is it not the same as losing in the first round? Like, did they really make that much progress? I don't know. These are questions that are being bandied about in Toronto all day, every day, of course. And we don't really need to harp on them there. But I am curious as to what people think about the Toronto Maple Leafs and the scenario that they've painted for themselves right now because it is uh, not pretty. Okay, uh, we're still waiting for uh, Phil Esposito. But I want to just paint a picture of the, the kind of player he was. Back in the uh, late 60s, early 70s, he really was the most dominant center of his era. In six seasons, starting in 68, he won five scoring titles, never totaling fewer than 126 points in those five seasons. And keep in mind, nobody in the NHL's history had ever gone over 100 points, period, before Phil Esposito did it, and then he went and did it uh, in five straight seasons. Uh, Led the league in goals six straight times from 69 to 75, won the Hart Trophy twice, two Stanley Cups with Boston. He blew away the old records in 70-71, 76 goals. That was 18 more than Bobby Hull's record at the time. Like, just shattered it. And it, it's, it set a new pre-Gretzky standard. When you talk about guys who kept raising the bar, he's a guy who probably doesn't get enough credit. People back who used to watch him know that. But today's fans, I'm not sure, recognized just how incredible they are. They mostly know him from his speech. <laughs> I dare say, you know, young listeners today, would know Phil Esposito from his speech at the 72 Summit Series more than almost anything else. Or maybe you know him just because of his play-by-play, you know, his, his analysis on the radio in Tampa Bay, and snippets often find their way around the NHL after something he says during a game. But this was a guy who really does deserve a lot of credit as one of the great players of all time. I think he was ranked 18th in the top 100 of all time when someone did that exercise i don't know if it was the hockey hall of fame or somebody else did it hockey news recently and when he was traded out of boston or traded to boston from chicago his goal was to make twelve thousand dollars a year and he almost quit hockey because they wouldn't pay him twelve thousand dollars a year they paid him ten thousand five hundred dollars for the year With a whole bunch of bonuses. Now he lit it up so much that he ended up making $30,000 that year. Just killed it. But he was seriously contemplating going back to Sault Ste. Marie where he's from. Because he said he could make more in the steel mills in Sault Ste. Marie to support his wife and daughter. Than he could in the National Hockey League. Well, it turned out okay for him. He persevered. And like I said, when he retired, he had the second most points in the history of the NHL. Second most points. Second most goals both behind Gordie Howe. I think right now he's seventh all-time in goals after all these other guys have come through. But the the bottom line is this guy was a goal scorer, and the bumper sticker in Boston for a lot of years was Jesus saves and Espo scores on the rebound. He was the consummate net front presence. I'm interested to ask him, is there anybody in today's NHL who plays like you used to play? Like, the only guy I can think of is Matthew Kachuk because he's always there on the doorstep. But Kachuk adds so many other things that Esposito really wasn't about. But this is a guy who, you know, again, deserves full due. He's coming to Calgary in two and a half weeks for the Gordie How Cares luncheon. And I'll have him up on stage there for over an hour. And we'll get into a whole bunch of great stories from the Summit Series to him... He was, the, he was the co-founder with his brother. And I think most people know his brother was Tony Esposito, his younger brother, the goaltender for the Chicago Blackhawks most of his career. He and Phil brought hockey to Tampa Bay. They were the co-founders. They weren't the money men. When you make $12,000 a year, it doesn't add up that quickly to own a franchise than a National Hockey League. But those guys brought hockey to Tampa Bay, and he was their first president and general manager. And now he does radio for them. But I'm, I'm just wondering, too. I want to talk to him about how proud a moment it would have been when Tampa won their first cup in 2004. Flames fans remember that, of course. And then when they just won a couple recently. You know, that just got kind of to feel so good because so many people in and outside the hockey world thought there's no chance that hockey is going to work in Florida. But obviously, they proved everybody wrong. And they've uh, got a pretty good uh, pretty good history there right now. Okay, uh, let's look at the fan feedback line while we wait for uh, Phil Esposito to give us a call. People uh, people are lighting up on the, on, the, uh, on the Leafs. Let's see. I'm rooting for Giordano and Brody. Don't know why they charge so much for their tickets, though, so maybe only elite to get to go to the games, and that's why they are obnoxious. It was interesting, wasn't it, to see how many Leaf fans were in the building uh, in Florida. And, of course, there was that 24-hour ban where anyone outside of the state of Florida couldn't buy tickets to the game. And then they opened it up to Leaf fans afterwards. I'm telling you that almost every Leaf fan will tell you it's cheaper for them to fly to Florida, stay a night or two in a hotel, and buy tickets to a game there than it would be to go and buy really good seats uh, to watch them play in Toronto. So it was, uh, you can, you're can. you not surprised when you see half the crowd in Florida wearing Leafs jerseys. And uh, when that goal went in in overtime to put them down 3-0 in the series, the mass exodus they showed of Leaf fans leaving the building in Florida. Again, for those people who are haters of the Leafs, they loved every single minute of it. But uh, that's something that uh, they're going to go back for Game 4, those same people, and pray that that's not the worst road trip they've ever been on in their lives. But anyway, uh, have you not met Maple Leafs fans? Says one one person on the fan feedback line. They may be the most obnoxious in the NHL. Fair. I'm not going to defend them. I'm just reading out what people say. Uh, People don't hate the Leafs players or their team. They have a great team, actually. It's the media and their fans overbearing. They forget there are more than one team in the league. Yeah. I think that's a fair comment too. Uh it's it's absolutely uh amazing how much heat Flames uh Leafs fans are taking right now. Uh, a lot of questions coming in here for Phil Esposito. Assuming we get him and if we don't get him today we'll get him next week. Uh he's a pretty busy guy running around doing all sorts of other stuff but uh we are endeavoring to get in touch with him still. Okay, let let's see here. Um that's funny Lots. question for phil esposito please describe what it was like playing with don maloney with the rangers i I am going to ask him that had a nice sit down with don maloney this morning for a feature i'm writing uh, for sportsnet.ca coming up in the next couple days here just about his career as a player and uh and his his kind of road to where he is right now overseeing the calgary flames right now as they try to find a general manager he assured me that uh their search is ongoing right now for the general manager. He did not want to get into details at all, which is fair. He wants to keep everything under wrap when I asked, where are you at in the process? Are you talking to guys yet? Or are you still collating a list? And he said, it's, it's well underway. <laughs> that's, that's all Don Maloney would add. Um, but, okay, let's see here. Guys like Esposito are why I love this recent Tim Hortons hockey card series. I get to show my seven-year-old highlights of all the players he's collecting. That's true. I love that series, too. I'm a big hockey card collector. One of these days, we're going to do a show uh, for for card collectors. I know there aren't a whole bunch out there. I got out of it for 20 years or so, and I got back into it when my son was born uh, about a dozen years ago, and uh, I absolutely love it. I still hesitate saying that out loud that I collect cards, but uh, when I was a kid, it was a huge thing, and uh, when I was in university, I actually owned a card store in Ottawa while I was going to Carleton University, because I could see that it was going to be the it was going to be a big thing. Hockey cards had kind of followed baseball several years later, and and, and really exploded uh, around that time when Mark McGuire was a rookie, Jose Canseco, all those guys. Uh, that is a long, long time ago. Uh, hey Eric, what do you think Flames fans would think of a as GM? I think he would be great, but what would we be upset as a fan base that it's not Conroy? That that's a great question. Conroy is definitely the people's choice. The the organization knows that. PR-wise, they know that. The question the organization has to answer is, is he the right choice? I certainly would love to see Craig Conroy in as the general manager of the Calgary Flames. I I think it sends a great message to every employee of CSEC, too, that, hey, you work hard. It sends a great message to any company. You work hard. You do everything we ask of you. Eventually, you'll be rewarded. We'll move you up the ladder. It'd be a bad message if he's not the guy who gets the job, but it would just be the decision of Maloney and ownership as they decide, do they think he's the guy to do this job? Because one of the things that they talk about Don Maloney is they want a young, innovative general manager. When you use those words, young and innovative, there's only one guy that comes to mind for me, and it's Kyle Dubas. I'm not saying he's the guy for the job. I'm saying that he would definitely be a front runner if he is let go as the, from the Maple Leafs. And that'll be interesting timing wise if the Leafs were to lose right away here. And Dubas is let go pretty quickly or if he steps away as Brad Treiliving did. I think the Calgary Flames would have to make a bit of an adjustment to make sure that they do talk to Kyle Dubas to see if he'd be interested in coming here and if it's a good fit. Uh, I think it'd be a great. I think it could be a great fit. In that they want someone young and innovative. Kyle Dubas is both of those in spades, no question about it. Again, I love Craig Conroy. I think he deserves a shot. But people are asking, how about these other guys? And I, I think fans would get over if it's not if it's not Conroy. I think they'd get over it. But I think that'd be a tough PR battle for the Calgary Flames for a little while until the new GM makes a move that makes everybody happy or the team gets off to a good start, I think you're going to hear that a lot from people. Wow, it should have been Conroy. should have been Conroy. And the merits of Conroy extend to, you know, he's such a great front man. And this organization needs that right now. Don Maloney does not like the spotlight, nor nor will he be seen in the spotlight as the president of the hockey operations. He will be in the background. He told me that this morning. He he does not want to be you know, in the hot seat. Craig Conroy is brilliant with the media. And again, I'm a little biased because Craig Conroy has become a, a friend over the years. I mean, he's just a great guy. Everybody in the organization loves him and everybody in the media loves him. And he would be great at deflecting, which is what a general manager has to do a lot. He's great at answering questions. I I think that... Front, being a good front man would be very important. Kyle Dubas can do it too, not as well as Craig Conroy, but Dubas has other strengths as well. So I don't know. I, I have to be honest. If Dubas is available, I think those two are your front runners. Uh, I know there are lots of other guys out there. Uh, Eric Tulski is another guy who a lot of people talk about, but this guy is not a front man. I'm sorry. This guy could not sit in front of the media and answer all sorts of tough questions or let me rephrase that dumb questions from the media. <laughs> We've been known to ask the odd dumb one. Uh, Eric Tulsky is not a front man. He is a brilliant numbers guy has a stellar reputation, but I've spoken to several people around the league about Eric Tulsky and none of them think that this guy could be a front man. Maybe he'll prove me wrong, but uh, not many think that he's the kind of guy who could sit in front of the media and, uh, and do the sort of things that Craig Conroy could or, or Kyle Dubas. Uh, you know, it, there's so many people, you know, who are also pushing for Stan Bowman. Not everybody loves Stan Bowman. There's a lot of reasons why you might not. In terms of a resume, there's no better GM candidate out there than Stan Bowman. Three Stanley Cups. He Comes with baggage, though. And I'm not sure he'd come to Calgary. I'm not sure the league would allow him back into the league quite yet. I think he's... I think he'd get the rubber stamp if an organization really wanted him, but I'm not sure. And again, it would be over Conroy, which would not sit well uh, with a lot of people. Okay. Our family grew up Bruins fans, uh, somebody writes in. Such fond memories watching Saturday Night Hockey with my dad. Bobby Orr and Phil Esposito were, are still two of my hockey heroes. That's from Brent. It's one of the things I want to ask Phil too. Because he played with Bobby Orr, with Bobby Hull, against Gordie Howe. He even overlapped with Gretzky for a little while. I want to know who he thinks the greatest player of all time is. It was Gretzky who rewrote all of the record book at Phil Esposito's expense at first, no question about it. My guess is he'll say Gretzky's the greatest player of all time. But uh, it'll be interesting to hear his thoughts on that because he has also been very, very clear over the years that nobody had taught him more about hockey and life than Bobby Hull. And Hull's a guy with a huge personality, where some superstars didn't have quite the personality. Bobby Hull had a personality. Phil Esposito had a huge personality. And it was Bobby Orr who also said about Phil Esposito that he was the glue in the room. He was the most important player in their room off the ice. And when Phil Esposito left the Bruins... I believe the Bruins went to last place in the National Hockey League soon thereafter. And Bobby Orr was not shy about saying that had a lot to do with Phil Esposito's departure because he absolutely thought this was a guy who walked around the room day one, introduced himself, made everybody feel welcome. I think that's a standard thing in the National Hockey League, especially amongst leaders. But Phil Esposito was certainly one of the best at it back in his day. Okay, it's the Eric Francis Show. We're waiting for Phil Esposito, it's not looking good at this point in time, and that's okay because uh, if he's uh, if he's uh, caught up with something else, he's going to do the show as early as next week, and we'll catch him then. We do have Tim Hunter coming in at the bottom of the hour, so keep uh, thanks for the feedback line uh, getting lit up right now. If you've got comments or questions for Tim Hunter, or even just memories, because there are a lot of great ones that he spurred on with his fists, sometimes as a penalty killer, sometimes as a de- defensive stalwart. Um, our producer Cam's a little younger he wouldn't have seen Tim Hunter play he asked me today how would you describe Hunter I said legend Calgary legend I don't think that's too much
0: I think that's all you had to say
1: that's all I had to say and I think you're right (laughs) so uh, this is a guy who's back in Calgary now too and uh, maybe he'd be part of a management group he's been an assistant coach in the national hockey league maybe he's a guy who wants to get into management maybe he's a guy who wants to get in again as an assistant coach so many things up in the air for the calgary flames as they move forward okay uh we've got a couple more here i'm not a fan of doofus i'm assuming that's Dubis. you only look at you have to look at his trade deadline acquisitions uh, to realize he cannot win Here's another one that I hear a lot of. Why would any other general manager come here thinking if things go sideways at the start of next season, it should have been Conroy? It is going to be a fascinating lesson in PR if it's not Craig Conroy. But but again, and again, I've made it very clear. I like Craig Conroy. I think he should or could be this next GM of this Calgary Flames team. No question about it. But you can't pick a general manager just on popularity I would argue that you'd pick him based on his I think it's 12 years he's been here in almost every role you can imagine for him but not you can't pick him just because he was one of the most popular players in Calgary over the last 30 years you pick him for the right reasons but if you don't pick him everyone here is right on the fan feedback line about that you're going to have a bit of an issue with a lot of people throwing up their hands and saying why not Carn Conroy it's, uh, it's the Eric French show. We're going to take a break in just a couple of minutes. We thank you for your patience. And sorry that we didn't get Phil Esposito. We will get him very soon. And like I said, he's here in two and a half weeks. Tickets are actually still available if people want to go see uh, him at the Gordy House luncheon. I think it's at the uh, convention center there. Um, and I'm just scrolling through a couple more of the uh, emails. And it is funny how many people are just piling on the leafs, absolutely dancing on their graves okay here's one the arrogance of the media the fans believing to is the center of the universe along with how broadcast networks show the leafs the majority of the time is pathetic i mean that's an age old age old uh take get over yourselves toronto being a troops true habs fan who was born in calgary i absolutely love the fact they can't help themselves in toronto they might win if they lose the cockiness arrogance and commercials and the focus on playing the game FYI, Espo was a thorn in the side of Habs fans for years. Great player. Oh, absolutely. He was uh, doing a lot of research on Phil Esposito, not just for our chat today, but also for when I see him in a couple weeks. He wasn't a great skater. He played junior B in Sault Ste. Marie. He didn't, he didn't make the, the big teams early in his career, but he always scored a ton of goals. And his skating was never superb. And it was only once he got to the NHL, they realized he had two different size feet and that he actually wore two different size skates. And so they fit him with two different size skates, and it helped his skating. He didn't need to be a great skater. Back in those days, it wasn't about great skating. I, hey, there were great skaters, Guy Lafleur, Steve Shutt. There were tons of them, Bobby Orr. But he was a guy who parked himself in front of the net, banged in rebounds like no other, and actually used to take a lot of heat for that. People said those are just garbage goals. They, don't, they shouldn't count. Well, as Tim Kerr, Matthew Kachuk, and so many other guys over the years will beg to differ. They all count the same a game winning goal, whether it's banged in, in the blue paint, or if it's stepping over the blue line with a, with a, a Pat LaFontaine ripper, they all count the same. Okay. Tim Hunter received the torch from Willie Platt. Willie Platt deserves more praise and credit for battling the Oilers when the flames first arrived from Atlanta. That's from Jeffrey. Uh Okay, more takes on Conroy, Yay, nay, yay, nay. And then here's another one. Uh, would think Conroy would be the best choice to GM because he could hit the ground running, knows the team inside out, has an idea of who should coach, no time wasted trying to fit out, figure out the situation. A very valid point, one that I've trotted out a lot of. I, I, I just think that this organization is very excited about having a clean slate, for better or worse. They have a clean slate right now. No GM, no coach. That can be an exciting proposition for a team that can look out and find whatever type of architect they're looking for. But you need some continuity. And Don Maloney certainly provides some of that. But it would be a pretty good idea if the general manager had a pretty good handle on the situation in Calgary. Craig Conroy knows what went wrong in Calgary over the last year. He knows the strengths of this organization. He knows the weaknesses. He's always had his own opinion on what he would do if he was the general manager. And if he was named GM, he could institute it. So now innovative. Is, is Craig Conroy innovative? I'm not sure he's had the chance to go out and be innovative, but I know he gets the job done. Whether it's him going down and picking up Johnny Gaudreau on the private jet and signing him. Same with you know, you know keeping that relationship tight with Matt Coronado and making sure he came here despite concerns that the Coronado camp probably had about playing under Daryl Sutter. Craig Conroy always smoothed that over built those great relationships and made sure those guys still came to Calgary. All right. We're going to take a break. We're going to come back, of course, with Tim Hunter. Calgary Flames legend. There's no doubt about it. The Eric Francis Show is brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta. Alberta was built on the back of a horse, and horses continue to play an important role in the province today. The Alberta horse racing and breeding industry contributes over $300 million to the Alberta economy annually. And the industry employs over 5,000 Albertans. Live Standard Bread Racing is back. Come experience the races live every Friday and Saturday at Century Downs Racetrack and Casino. For more info and how to get in on the action, visit thehorses.com. Must be 18+. Please play responsibly. We'll take a break. We'll be back with the legend, Tim Hunter.
0: This is the Eric Francis Show, brought to you by Horse Racing Alberta on Sportsnet
1: 960 The Fan. All right, the second half of the Eric Francis Show. Thank you so much for your texts and your patience in the first half. We will get Phil Esposito on the show in the very near future. In the meantime, we have another icon, legend, heavy hitter, Tim Hunter, as we've uh, promised earlier in the show. We do have him on the line here. And I just want to thank him uh, for his patience because him and I have been trying to hook up, uh, have him on the show for a long, long time. We finally made it happen today. And he joins us on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. How are you, Tim?
0: I'm great, Eric. How are you doing?
1: I'm excellent, my man. Listen, uh, thanks for doing this. I want to uh, ask you about so many different things. And the fan feedback line is lighting up. People love you. You know that. Are you back in Calgary? Are you back in Calgary now?
0: I am back in Calgary. Yeah, we came back on the seventh of April. I was here for the, actually was in Vancouver for the Flames game on the eighth. and I was here for the tenth and the twelfth Flames games. So that was a disappointing end to being a fan, but that's okay. <clears throat>
1: yeah, yeah. And I, I, I saw you in Phoenix, didn't I? See you in Tempe this year.
0: Yes, that's right. Yeah, you yeah. we were. I was at the game there. The, um, the second last game. Yeah, you and uh, you guys were doing a show up at the top of the concourse. Yeah. It's kind yeah. Of a small fit there in that building, huh?
1: Uh, it was fantastic. It was fantastic. Okay, listen, uh, everybody's lighting up the phone lines. Uh, we are talking earlier about the general manager. Of course, it's all the talk in the city. Who's going to be the coach? Who's going to be the general manager? You, You talk about being a fan now, and we're going to get into your career and so many other things, but I wanted to ask you, just as a fan, do you have anybody kind of in mind who you think would be or should be the general manager?
0: Well, I think any good organization uh, always looks to within to start off. And, and you always, if you, I think you're in trouble as a business or any sort of organization if you're not uh, promoting from within and, and developing your own people through your own culture. So obviously, Craig Conroy would be a, a great uh, fit. He knows the city. He knows the team. He knows the players. He knows what's gone on here. Uh, he's been well educated in being an assistant manager through uh, a lot of different ende- endeavors. I believe he's now uh, with the USA team uh, in the World Championship. So he's, he's got lots of experience. Uh, he's a very positive, happy guy, and I think he'd be a good fit. Uh, I think he's progressive. Um, you know all those things, but. You know, that's just my opinion.
1: <laughs> yeah. Hey, everyone's got one right now and everybody's got a right to it. And it's, it's interesting. We were talking earlier about the PR issues you might have if you don't promote with within from within and, and go with the guys as popular as Craig Conroy. And, and that's something that the organization is going to have to balance <laughs> out as they make this decision uh, moving forward. And I know the alumni, you know, different guys I talked to, and I know you talk to all of them a lot. Everybody's got their opinions and uh, it's going to be fascinating when they finally unveil who the next general manager is going to be. Okay, now I should just ask you while I have you on the line, you, are you interested in the job? As a general manager? Yeah.
0: No, no, not. <laughs> okay. Not. Just... What? Coaching, coaching is is bad enough as far as taking time out of your life. General manager hmm. is nonstop, 724th. Uh, Twelve months of the year i don't know when those guys ever get to relax to be honest with you
1: i'm with you i'm with you they usually talk about there's like a week or two in august where everything kind of calms down and everyone agrees to just take that time off but i don't even believe that (laughs) (laughs) yeah those guys are always always going and if they're not going they're thinking about it how about you do you want to get back into coaching or are you happy to be retired now
0: um, you know, I spent uh, 15 years as assistant coach in the NHL and then six years as head coach uh, in Moose Jaw. My last four years coaching in Moose Jaw, we're very busy with the U18 World Championships and the World Junior three years in a row. So I really got burnt out with the coaching. And it's been nice to be away from the game. And I always said uh, I would never go back unless it was the NHL. Um, you know, I've been... Rode the buses. I've coached Okanagan Hockey Academy. i coached junior. I've been an assistant coach on three different teams in the NHL and um, had lots of responsibility. Done, uh, ran a team while the coach was away at the Olympics twice. And um, so the only thing I would do is is go back to the NHL if I was going to work again. I I think I've had three good years off, and um, you know if the opportunity came, I would take it. Uh, if it was the right opportunity, I. I'm not out there pounding the pavement looking for a job. I've never really been that guy that was trying to climb and look for the next best thing. Um, very fortunate to work with one head coach for a long time and then um, move on and then go to Moose Jaw and be there for six years. So I haven't been in a lot of places um, over my 20-year coaching career.
1: Yeah. Are you... Uh, let's let's turn to today's game. I'm, I'm I'm sure you're watching some playoff hockey. Would you like... You probably get asked this a lot. Would you like to see more fighting in today's game?
0: No, not really. You know, I'm you know, I'm a you know, I'm a believer that, you know, that there's room for it, but not like it was back in the eighties. Like it was violent hockey. It was <laughs> you know, like you wanna see Wayne Gretzky and you wanna see the best players, you wanna see McDavid, you wanna see Matthews, you wanna see these guys out there performing, you don't wanna see fight. There's a place for it. I still believe there's a place for it, but um, you know, I went through an, a, an era when I was assistant coach, and it was all these stage fights. You know, yeah. I coached some guys in Washington and San Jose and Toronto, and I'd be like, dude, you're a player. Can you not just play? We want you to play. We want you to develop as a player so we can trust putting you on the ice that not every time we put you out, you just go out and have a fight. Like, what good is that? I never did that in my career, I, and I had 220 fights in the NHL. I never did that. I, I fought when I had to, and I fought when I, when I was in charge. I didn't just fight to fight, and that's what really, oh, it drove me crazy. I'm like, you know, if, if you're going to do that, at some point, somebody's going to knock you out, and you're going to end your career, and you're going to go, geez, I played in the NHL, but I only had like five shifts because I fought every, every, every shift. You know that's not what it was what it should be about. It's about, yeah, you know, sticking up for your teammates and being a being a policeman, but not being a bully and being a guy that goes out just to just to fight. Uh, I that's they should do that in between periods. If that's what they're gonna do.
1: <laughs> did did you did you hate fighting? Like there are some guys, and it, it's very rare you talk to around the league who couldn't wait to fight. But I find most guys who played the role that you had to play sometimes did not like to fight that much. How did you see it?
0: Well, I didn't hate fighting. I I knew it was part of the deal, and I knew I had to be ready to do it. That's why I was the fittest guy in the NHL. I was the fittest guy in every team I play. I studied everybody. I boxed. I did all kinds of things to be ready. So I'd never lose a fight where I was laying on the ice in a pool of blood, knocked out and some guy skated away from me. you're never going to see that in one video that you ever seen me fight in and that was my goal to 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 send a message get a few licks in and stick up for my teammates and myself um in the process and
1: i'll let you get a drink there well willie dewitt trained you and that was that was considered to be pretty innovative back in the day, wasn't it? To have a, a professional boxer uh, show you the ropes?
0: Yeah, we had his, his uh, boxing coach, Mansur uh, as male, and, and we went down. They had a uh, boxing gym in the old Calgary Herald building downtown. And, you know, Pep and Reinhardt and myself, Dougie Risebrow, we'd go in there at six in the morning and go through the full training routine and get in the ring and, and spar and put the gloves on, the headgear and you know, just learn how to protect yourself, learn how to throw a punch, learn how to disguise a punch. And, and Willie was like, you know, we thought <laughs> we were athletes, but this guy was like a machine. He was like just <laughs> ripped and he could throw a punch. And I was terrified uh, when, when he had the gloves on. I was like, come on, you know, there, you never saw his punch coming. It was, and that was the biggest thing that I learned was to disguise a punch. And, um, you know um because then then a the guy you can't duck and and you and you don't miss so that's always good but uh, <laughs> yeah. no it was, it was it was a great uh a great experience and um you know one that really helped me both as a player and as a fighter
1: now there's a a great book out there my colleague wrote on the Ball of alberta you probably read it with mark Spector, and uh, mm-hmm. he opens the whole book with that fight you had with uh Uh, Tom McClellan or with um, Brian McClellan. McClellan. Yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yes. Thank you. So many McClellans and uh, and, and how you would split his nose wide open and, and he was just an absolute mess. And after the fight, he skated by his own bench and said that didn't hurt at all. I didn't even feel anything. And it made all the Oilers feel six feet taller and all this other stuff. That is how he opens the book on the Battle of Alberta. And not that one fight can kind of define the Battle of Alberta, but I wonder if you remember that fight or that, that moment, and or I want to know what fights do you remember? Because people around here have some fights that they definitely remember.
0: Well, I remember that fight, and then there was another famous fight. It's him and I. We were fighting. We fell on the ground, and we both were on the ice, and we're both laying on the ice, and we're still throwing punches. We're both laying on <laughs> our side, and we're still throwing punches. It's got to be the funniest YouTube fight you ever seen. But I, I, I recall the the defining moment for me was my first fight against Dave Samenko in the Corral. And um, you know, I get called up and I'm playing, you know, I was playing and, you know, I'd played against Dave in the minors. He got sent down to Wichita and I was in Birmingham and he played in Wichita. He came down there, he's big wheel, you know, he's got ninety nine on his jersey, Wichita win. <laughs> like, we're going like who is this guy? He never kinda collided. He he was a left winger and I played defense and anyway, so you know, I knew what he was all about. So I fought him in Calgary and I'm sure you've seen the video. So I get going. I start doing okay and I start throwing some left and he's always saying, Well, Tim Hunter is you know, he's throwing his purse with his left hand kind of thing and whatever but <laughs> Um, I, I'm doing okay. And I end up, I thought I won the fight and mistakenly being naive thinking, well, you know, these linesmen are professional. They're going to have a hold on him and hold on me. Cause they had a hold on me. And I just kind of peek up over the top and give him the old, how do you like them apples? And he suckers me right in the forehead Ooh. and down I go. And then Jim Plinski jumped in, but that was the moment I knew. And you know you listen to especially guys like Don Cherry, which is he's he's a great um, you know um, old hockey guy, and he's got great things to say about the game. But he talks about the code, like there's no code, and there was no, no code, code. <laughs> no code, because you know guys guys will do almost anything to get the job done, and and so there's no code. So it was funny we we do this. Coyote Golf Tournament down in Phoenix. Um, William McBean organiz- organizes yeah. it at uh, Lasendas, and So this year we had the Battle of Alberta thing going. We had Marty on one side and Grant Fear on the other side. That was me, Roberts, and Lanny. Kind of like back and forth against those guys. So Marty McSorley asked me a question. He said so Tim, how did you handle being a tough guy and what was your, you know how do you, you know, and I just kind of gave my answer and, and he, he he started, he said, you know I was willing to do anything to protect my teammates. I would take a suspension to protect my teammates. I would do whatever it took to protect my teammates. That is the mentality right there mm-hmm. that some guys have. And sometimes I think the Oilers had with, with Glenn Sather at the helm, because I used to tease those guys because I'd look over to the bench and there'd be Sather and Muckler and they'd be pointing at guys and pointing to Marty and so-and-so to go get me or go get him. And I used to tease those guys. I said, you guys are like puppets. I said, the slats and, and muck, they got you on strings there. And they're just telling you where to go and who to fight and what to do. Are <laughs> You guys not that smart. You got to be told what to do. And it just drove them crazy. But, you know, my point is, is the code, you know, I knew then. And then you go on and you look at the other fights I fought Semenko. So the next time, so so he kicks Jim Poplinski in that first fight. He comes in, he, he grabs on, and then he kicks Jim Poplinski. The next time I fought Dave Samenko, he made me behind the, the flames net. Then the next time, he, he kicked me and um, suckered me. So, like, you know, he was one of those guys. He didn't fight very often. He only fought about 60 times in his career, Dave Samenko. And, and, but nobody really wanted to fight him because he was, he was violent. He was, he was dirty. And he was going to get his message across. And you know, when you lined up against him, he, he you know give you the, like, let's go. You either drop your gloves, or you got suckered, and you had to drop your gloves. And then sometimes I use that mo- that moto motto a little bit myself because sometimes you got to force a guy into it. He just doesn't want to do it. You just got to embarrass him into fighting because you know he really doesn't want to do it, but he's been acting up out there, and he needs to be accountable and you want to send a message. So you kind of force a guy into it. And I think Dave Semenko had to force lots of guys into it because nobody really wanted to fight him.
1: Mm-hmm. That is fascinating. And and the stats, I was looking at your stats on HockeyFights.com about the fights you had in your career. And I'm wondering if, if, if you've looked at them, like, or if you're familiar, like, do you know who you fought the most? I, I see you fought Semenko only four times. I, I think that surprises people. I think people would think that you fought Semenko you know, a dozen times. But uh, do you know who you fought the most?
0: Yeah, I do. Uh, uh, Cronin. uh, Sorry, Jim Kite in uh, Winnipeg. um, And Sean Cronin. Um, I'm pretty sure those are the two guys I fought the most. But the thing with the Battle of of Alberta is become such a lore because um, Jack Cookson created that bought those the rights to Bob Mumrey's photo of Dave Semenko and I and that where we're glaring at each other and in yeah, that's a great photo from 95 till now he, he sold more photos of Tim Hunter and Dave Semenko than Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier anybody that photo has been the number <laughs> one selling photo in Alberta, Western Canada of any hockey photo it's an, unbelievable how many yeah, pictures that that I that agree sold I it. Us. so that that you know, and so everyone thinks it was like we were the, you know, it's called the Battle of Alberta that, you know, we were the battle, you know. And, yeah, well, I only fought him four times. But every time, it was a pretty epic fight, actually.
1: Yeah. That's that's why they're so memorable, right? I mean, people will remember them because it, it was the two big guys and squaring up. Now, yeah. according to hockeyfights.com, and maybe this doesn't include playoffs. I think it does, but according to their list, you fought Morty, Marty McSorley and Gord Donnelly both seven times. That's the most of anyone you fought. Oh, they said that guys? you fought Cronin five times.
0: Jim Kite, how many? What's that? Jim Kite. Is he not up there?
1: Kite four. Oh, wow. yeah. He's Jeez, four. I thought I fought Jim Kite
0: more. Jesus, it seemed like every time I went to Winnipeg, i fight Jim Kite. Yeah, well, I, I, you know, Marty in Edmonton a number of times, and then I ended up fighting him in, in LA a number of times. And. Those those two fights, if you talk about memorable, memorable fights, the one the f- one of the first time I fought him in Edmonton, um, it was very long. It was two minutes long, and I had to go in the flame box mm-hmm. room, and Bearcat Bearcat had to get me oxygen. I was like gassed. I I I, I, was, I put <laughs> yeah. everything possible into into that fight, and I was like on empty. I said, Bear. I, I said, I can't breathe. I said, I got I need oxygen. So, and then the the last time I fought Marty was in L.A. And you know, and all these fights are on YouTube. I fought Marty, in, and that fight is over two minutes long too. And I got the best of him in that fight. Oh. And 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 that was my you know my thing because I was so I had such great stamina and I just kind of like you know grappled and. You know, I could throw lefts and rights and just kind of hung in there and let the guy – I never really resisted. I just let him – just move me around and let him tire out, and then I'd get my shots in. But yet that fight too, and I was like, man, this is brings back memories. Like, you know, like got nothing left. Yeah, I could see what a boxer's like after going six or seven rounds. Man, why? Oh,
1: yeah, yeah so. right? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so and that's why you train so hard. Um, you know, not every fight's going to be over two minutes long, but I had, I've had some epic ones for quite long.
1: Oh my God. Well, and you've had a bunch of you, you. You said the number 200 and some fights. In 11 years with the Flames, you had 151 fights. Here's a stat that I found real interesting. You, the team you fought against the most, I think everyone would assume it's the Oilers. And, yes, they're at the top of the list, but they're tied – with the Winnipeg Jets, 24 times you fought someone from those two teams each. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I think people don't think about the war that you guys had with Winnipeg over the years.
0: Well, look who was coaching, John Ferguson. <laughs> he was coaching and managing. <laughs> exactly. and would, then we had, then we had uh, Maloney and uh, Rick bonus and guys like that in there. Like, Oh yeah, it was, it was, yeah, they had a tough team. Like, there's a guy people ask me like underrated guys that were really kind of like Chris King when he was in Winnipeg he was- re- he, i fought him one time oh, yeah. he he was really tough to handle. He was not really big, really strong, smart um, really good fighter, and you know I fought cronin and and kite a number of times, Brent Thompson. Um, you know, you know, you got tired of beating him up. It was painful. Um, another guy. But he oh yeah, <laughs> always got challenged there, for sure, especially in Winnipeg. I probably <laughs> fought more in Winnipeg. And then we had the big brawl here in Calgary against Winnipeg, um, which subsequently got Dave Babbage traded, uh, was um, when um, Brian Hayward stuck me in front of the net. and I went after him, and then I fought a couple guys, and then I – went back at him again and then they emptied benches and I beat up a couple guys. And then I end up going after Rick bonus. He was on the bench trying to, trying to call me on. That's and right. I'm water skiing behind, I don't know, Swede Knox or somebody to the bench. There's a great photo of me being drugged to the, um, he's, well, I'm, I'm dragging Swede Knox to Winnipeg bench. Cause Rick <laughs> bonus wants to fight me. And I fought Rick bonus in the minors, my first year pro. Um, which is a funny, which is a funny story too, but uh, bones and I go way back. So that, that was, you know, that was wild,
1: wild times. Do you, do you ever remember fighting Don Maloney? Like of all the fights you've had, and this would have been just so, I'm sure that wouldn't have been much of a, much of a contest, but do you remember fighting Don Maloney?
0: Yeah, well, he's part of the, the question I get asked the most is who's the toughest guy you ever fought? and um that's right that's ever... where I'm
1: going with this yeah
0: that's right so the toughest guy I ever fought was Nick Petillo, and and the re... my first time in Madison Square Gardens you know it's the early 80s and Don Malone, it's the third period Don Maloney wants to fight I don't know what remember I don't remember what he wants to fight I mean I kicked his ass he wasn't really a fighter you know both him and his brother David you know so I beat him up and I'm thinking okay I I knew who Nick Fatillo was and hadn't seen him all night, you know, two periods. I'm thinking, Boy, I could probably get out of here alive. I, I haven't seen then I beat up Don Millar. I'm going, Oh geez. Next shift I'm out I'm gonna get killed. This guy's coming. So um I don't play for a while and then all of a sudden we go up I don't remember the score, we're up a couple of goals and last couple of minutes of the game, Bob Johnson throws me up and and Herb Brooks is the coach of the Rangers, so two college guys, you know, they don't know what they're doing. They throw he throws me out, <laughs> and then over comes over the boards comes Nick Fatillo, and I'm going, Oh man, just when I thought I was gonna get out of here alive. This big guy's coming over, he's gonna kill me. So line up and right away, before the puck drops, he spears me. I'm playing right wing, he's playing left wing. He spears me inside my left um groin area just right up right up a high where your your thigh connects to your body and it's like so tender and I'm in just pain I go down I'm going okay just stay down you won't have to fight this guy you're injured it's all good <laughs> of course no I get up and I <laughs> young and dumb and you know Nick's got no helmet on he just drops his gloves and we're moving around he's giving me the come to hither thing you know with his finger and like come here I'm going to kill you kill you so i just take a step forward thinking i'm going to get this over with and i step forward nick reaches out he's got these massive hands forearms he, his sweater is like way up his his elbow he you know he's like i don't even know if he wore elbow pads or crying out loud um he reaches out and grabs me and he's pulling me and as he's pulling me he's punching and i'm going oh boy so I duck and he hits me on top of the helmet and just blew my helmet right off my, my head. I, I think Bearcat's still looking for it somewhere. Um, I, it, it was like, Oh boy. And we wrestled to the ground. It wasn't really much of a fight, but that wasn't when I realized he was the toughest guy I ever fought. So he comes to Calgary and he's part of the flames and, you know, he has, hasn't really fought much and, you know, he's wanting to, you know, show the Western, you know, Vancouver, Edmonton Olympic, what he can do. So we're playing in Vancouver. Craig Cox wants to fight me, and he, he says, hey, hun, you know, you want to go? And Cox, he's like this California surf dude. He talks like, hey, dude. And I'm like, sure, dude, whatever. <laughs> so we'll drop the gloves, and we're down in the corner, and this big hand comes in, and he, it was Otto, me, and him on the line. And he this big hand comes in and goes, Hunts, I'll take care of this guy. So he they lie they stand together and they're kinda rolling their fists around and Nick hits him with a punch, first punch. Nick, Nick was a boxer and Nick knew how to disguise a punch. He hit him so fast, so quick, he hit Poxy in the left orbital bone and crushed oh. his whole side of his face in. Oh. And I was standing standing right there and it was like you took a sledgehammer and hit a side of beef. It was just like nasty, the sound. I went, oh, And Coxie just kind of shakes it off. And I thought he was going down, and that was it. Fun's over. And no, nope, he pops up. He goes, whoa, dude, now that's a punch. <laughs> and, he, and then he starts fighting. And I'm going, you can't be doing this, man. You're, you're going to get killed. And it turned out to be a decent fight, you know. If you took the first punch away, but you know, and Coxie was very tough, and that because you know, and that you know, and that moment when when Nick hit him, and I saw his face, I went, "That could have been me three or four years ago in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, he would have been <laughs> car- carrying me off the ice." But I had the presence of mind to duck, yeah. and that's when I knew Nick Fatia was the t- toughest guy I ever fought. So, you know, kind of yeah, long story about Don Maloney and yeah, Don was you know, he was really you
1: know no. I don't know. I
0: don't know why he wanted to fight me. I, I I should have asked him. I ran into him to saddle Dome near the end actually the last game of the year I ran into
1: him. <laughs> I I they, I they must
0: have had lots of things going through their mind other than talking to Tim Hunter.
1: Yeah, no, I, I saw him this morning. I saw uh, uh, Don Maloney and I asked him about it and he doesn't remember it. Uh, he, he oh, yeah. certainly, he's the first to tell you that he doesn't, he's not a fighter. And if he did fight you, um, it was a bad idea and he didn't, you know, he didn't know what he was doing, but, uh, he won't be able to give you an answer cause he doesn't remember it either. But, uh, but anyway, Hey, <laughs> uh, no, one's going to forget this interview. Thank you so much. Let's do this again. I could talk about these fights for a whole hour. Um, uh, but I appreciate you finally hooking up with me and, and doing the show and, uh, I look forward to seeing you down at the dome or maybe Tempe again real soon.
0: All right. You bet, Eric. Thanks for having me on. Have a great day. All right.
1: Thanks. There he is. Tim Hunter. As I said, flames legend tells great stories. That's what this show is all about. Sorry. We went a little longer than normal Logan. I appreciate it. I owe you a couple minutes, buddy. Sorry for that. Uh, this has been the Eric Francis show. It's brought to you by horse racing, Alberta live standard bread racing is back every Friday and Saturday at century downs racetrack and casino. Visit thehorses.com. must be 18 plus please play responsibly. We'll do it all again next Monday. From noon to one, thanks so much for listening to The Eric Francis Show.